and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Pei Tet, page 89. Uh, our daf opens with a Mishnah, but the first line of the Mishnah is really on the previous daf. Just a couple of words. get So we have a case where a woman has her bill of divorce, but she doesn't have the Ketubah. And then she's going to want the husband to pay the Ketubah, right? That's the deal. Govak Ketubata. So the the halachic decision here is that she does collect her ketubah, and he does not have the right to claim that he's already paid it. get. What if she's got the ketubah but she doesn't have the get? She doesn't have the bill of divorce. He omerit avad giti, and she says, "I lost my get." And he says, "Vuhomer avad and he says, "Well, you lost your get. I lost my receipt for paying the ketubah that I already paid." meaning the implication here is shenanigans. So, and likewise, the Mishnah goes on to explain that this is not just a divorce situation, a marriage situation. Any kind of creditor who produces the chov, the promissory note, right? And the case here is literally, literally the season that we are now in, your data. You couldn't have a better than this, right? That we're talking about it's after the sabbatical year. The Shemitah year has just ended. You want to come collect your your debt. You want to get your payment back. And you say that you don't have the prusbal, the prusbal being the document that many of us signed last week, right? To say that you're allowed to, you hand the, get, the debt over to the Beitin so that you can then come and collect your debt after the year switches because the Shemitah, the end of the Shemitah year cancels all debts. And that's not something that most people who, who lend money can sustain. So here we've got a case of a Balchov, the person who owes money, he doesn't, and he doesn't, I'm sorry, the person who lent money doesn't have the paru. Both of these cases, you, the payment would not be made, not to the Baal, not to the person who um, lent the money, and also not to the person who has uh, lost her get right, where he says then he's also lost his receipt for having paid the ketubah, so then nobody's collecting the money here. Rebbe Shimon ben Gamliel, Omer, min hasakana ve'elach, isha govak ketubata shelo beget, ubal chov govah shelo bepruzbol, except for the fact that times change. And Rebbe Shimon ben Gamliel says that from the time of danger, meaning from the time of danger here we're talking about in history, right, there is bad stuff that happened to the Jewish people, and at that point, According to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, the authorities said you cannot do these mitzvot, meaning the secular authorities, the, the Romans or right, the people who got in the Jews' face for doing their mitzvot. So then what would happen is the people would do a halachic divorce and indeed a prusbal, and then they would destroy the documents so that they would not so that they would do the mitzvah, but they would not get caught with proof of having done the mitzvah because that would endanger them. So then, after that, then the woman would collect her ketubah, even without the get. And likewise, the creditor would collect the money that is owed to him, even without a prusbal, um, because, again, there's a rationale, uh, and a very unfortunate, but also very strong rationale, as to why those documents would not be preserved. It doesn't mean that the, the people are claiming that they lost them. It's not shenanigans, right? It's very much a matter of the... Absence of the document does not invalidate the request for the funds. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting Mishnah because, again, and I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast, 
you know, I think in a society where like not everything was recorded on paper, there's this tension between like oral claims versus proper documentation. Today, we live in a society where like if you don't have proof by paper, it's just it's no proof. Like you don't really get to make an oral claim. But what I really keep seeing from yesterday's DAP and even the DAP before that is there's a lot of oral claiming, right? Like you say it. And the court actually has to consider it, which I don't think is something that would happen today at all. Um, I think we would have so much of a paper trail, you know, in in zeros and ones, right? There's so much now online that it's never going to disappear. And the fact is, when people, that fact, right, the very fact that things are so digitized makes it much harder for something to disappear, that if you actually do not have any record of it whatsoever, it really suggests that it was never done. Right. And again, I just want to say, I love the Cruz Bull Nasonist star this week. That was a good one. That might be in like her top five. Anyhow, okay. I'm going to move on to Amud Bet, uh, where there is a discussion that based on this Mishnah and the discussion that the Gemara has about whether she, you know, she has to show the get itself. And maybe there were some places where they didn't actually have a physical ketubah, but it was just like, yeah, everybody, once you entered into marriage, of course, you were able to collect your 200 Zuzim. Uh, you know, for once you got to get, but the Gemara now, Rav Kahana has a very good question. Imri la Rav Kahana Rav Asi Lerat. Sorry, Rav Kahana Rav Asi asked the following question to Rat. So according to you, that says that you must have a get in order to get the the money from the Ketubah. What does a widow do? Because we know the Ketubah serves to protect a woman, both in a case of divorce and in a case of widowhood. And, you know, obviously, if you get divorced, you have the document of the get. But in a case of a widow, there's no document, like there's no proof of anything, right? So his question sort of is, is how do you, you know, how does she collect that money? If there isn't a document to support it. mita, Right? So she could say there was a witness to his death. Right? But we could be concerned that what maybe he divorced her, right? Like he divorced her before he passed away. Right. And then after, you know, getting her, uh, you know, her, uh, her, like she could basically double dip twice. Like in other words, first she'll produce witnesses that say he died and get money that way. And then she'll also then show a get and get money a second time. Right. So he answers, right? So she says that when she collects basically the payment with the witnesses to her husband's death, when she's still living under, you know, the, when she's still living under her husband. In other words, if there are sort of witnesses, not just that there's witnesses to his death, but there's also would be sort of like witnesses to the fact, you know, or people would know, oh, but she was living with her husband up until the time uh, that he got you know, that he died. In other words, what Rob is saying is you don't get divorced and you're still living with each other. So there really wouldn't be a possibility of sort of double dipping because the witnesses, they're kind of there to say like he died and she's his widow. The Dilma Samaklamitsa Gersha. So then the Gemara says, right, but perhaps he divorced her right near his death. In other words, right before he dies, let's say the day before he dies, he divorces her and she didn't have time to move out yet. You know, something like that. So we could still come up with a possibility. Now, here is where the Gemara, I think, is being a little boundary pushing, right? Like they're trying to find a case where she really could do this twice. Ihu, uh, Ihuhu, 
to have speed on Napshe. So the Gemara says, okay, in that case, he caused his own loss. Like, in other words, if you're going to be this kind of person who's going to divorce his wife right before, you know, and you didn't tell anybody and it was right before your death and you knew you were, you know, whatever it is. All right. So like, maybe that is going to happen, you know? Um, but we don't really need to worry that this is going to happen. This wouldn't be like a common, 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 uh, this wouldn't be a common uh, occurrence. Then Rafkana Ravasi asked the next question, Almana mean Hayerusin Bamaigava. What if she's a widow from Erusi? In other words, she wasn't fully married. She just did the first part because we know that that widow also, even if she's betrothed, she gets to collect her ketuba. Bamaigava, right? So what is she? Does she collect payment with, you know, these witnesses? But again, shouldn't we say that maybe he divorced her, right? And then after she gets her, um, you know, she gets her ketubah based on these witnesses, she'll produce uh, the get. And here the difference is, is that a woman who just is married by Arisen, they don't live together. So we can't sort of, there would be no validation that they live together. In other words, he could have just divorced her. So she she did Arisen. She's entitled to her get. He divorced her from Arison because you know you need a get for that. So she also could sort of like double dip in a way because there's no there's no living together. They couldn't have lived together. Ella, bimkom delo efshar katzvinan shobar. Whenever it's not possible, in other words, to know whether she receives her ketubah, right? Uh, we write a receipt. Okay, di la tema hachi mita gufahu nichush dilma makpa edemita bahaybe dina begabe. Because if if you if you do not do this right, if you don't do this, when it comes to the witnesses to a death themselves, we could be concerned that maybe she'll bring out witnesses to a death in this court and collect her ketubah, and then she'll go to a different court and you know uh, collect a second time. In other words, she could just keep going from court to court and and sort of you know and and sort of and and collect right. She could collect two times basically. Right. So what do we say? Right. Ella, right. Sorry, I didn't read that part. Ella, so rather, whenever possible, you really should get a receipt. So, again, I think this ties this dot full circle in a way, because, again, the dot is basically discussing this tension between an oral claim versus a receipt. Right. Whether the receipt is a get. Right. Whether the receipt is a handwritten ketubah. And here in this case with a woman of Arison, what the Gemara is basically trying to say is best practices, you should get a receipt that you got paid your ketubah. That is really the best practice. We need to create a paper trail as much as possible. So we don't have these scenarios because notice they don't really have a solution. Yeah, she could really still go from court to court to two different courts if she never got a, a, a receipt. So the point the Gemara is making is it's in everyone's interest. She really needs to get a receipt. It's not, notice they're not using language like a requirement. They're not saying if she doesn't have a receipt, they won't accept the claim. That's not what they're saying. But it's more saying like, yeah, we need to try to produce a receipt. When possible, paper trail is the best way. Um, I think that this is a given, right? Meaning we take it as a given nowadays because this is how they established it back then. The fact that you can you get the shovar, the fact that somebody gets a receipt clearly was put into practice and we're not seeing it put into practice, right? I'm sorry. Let me say this better. We're not, this is not the creation of a shovar of a receipt. 
right? This is saying it is best practices to get a receipt, which means that the concept of a receipt has already been around as a good long for a good long time, right? And that's the best practices. So the idea then that um, Chazal were already concerned about the fact that they didn't want to risk the kinds of situation that was in the Mishnah where people can in fact run into trouble because they don't have the proper paperwork. Um, I think is it shows you know forethought, right? That that's that's the plan that you're going to do things in the most business like way. Even what we're doing is talking about the delivery of a tuba and not really business practice per se. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting piece, point here. Like the point is the idea of documenting existed, but remember the ketubah is a rabbinic enactment. So part of what's happening here is the rabbi saying, we need to treat this like other financial transactions. And therefore, the same way you would get a receipt for a different loan, you need to have, you know, or payment, you need to have a receipt. All right. I well said. Have- you said that better than I did. Okay. Uh, we've got one okay. more mission. You inspired me though. All right. I think we got one more mission out here. We do indeed. So what happens? We've got a woman and she's got two bills of divorce and she's got two to both. And the issue is that these are rich is divorced and married to the same man, meaning. Right. So she's divorced and has a ketubah. And then it seems that she's again got a divorce and again a ketubah, which implies that she was never she never got the money from the first ketubah, right? That's how else could she ever have a second ketubah, right? The whole phenomenon of this particular scenario is already very interesting, right? It's a, you want to talk about pushing the envelope, Yordana. It might have, surely it might have happened, um, but I don't think this was common. So, what happens if she's got two ketubot, but only one divorce? Or, she's got one ketubah and two bills of divorce. Or she's got a ketubah and a bill of divorce, and also there's witness to the fact that her husband has died after they remarried. So then, then she collects only one ketubah, as compared to the first case in this mission, which says that she gets the she gets to collect the two ketubot, right, the monetary value, I guess, of two marriage contracts. In this, it's not really a marriage contract. It's not the right way to to. to we're just going to keep calling it a ketubah, right? It's very often translated as a contract. It's not exactly a contract. It's terms of of agreement, but it which I guess is a contract. I'm not doing well here in this, trying to explain the difference. Your data, you were on a roll before. You want to take a stab as why Ketubah is not really a contract? Well, I think it's not really a contract because it's a, it's a community standard. Like in other words, it's not really two individuals. This is what I would assume. It's not really two individuals agreeing to do something. Like you're not supposed to get married without a Ketubah, right? Like it's part of the marriage. It's part of the marriage, but it's not the same thing. It, it, it functions as an IOU in the event of divorce, right? Or, or, widow, or as, widowhood, right? Or widowhood. But Sorry. as opposed to saying when we have when we have a contract that says, you know, I I don't know, I will paint your house and you will pay me a sum of money, and now we shake on it, right? We've got a contract where we're each. Yes, marriage requires a ketubah. But the term marriage contract isn't quite what a ketubah is. So I misspoke in trying to translate here. I'm going back to just using the Hebrew, and we'll hopefully be patient with that. Um, 
So anyway, the case here is the first case, she gets two ktubot. The second, several options of cases, right, where she's got two ktubot or one get, one ktuba and two gitten, one ktuba, one get, and one, you know, testimony to death. In all of those cases, she only gets one ketubah, the value of one ketubah. Because the claim is, or the assumption is, that the man who divorces his wife and then remarries her is remarrying her for the sake or with the with the plan of using that first ketubah. Meaning now he's going to have access to that money again, right? So then when she's only collecting the payment of the original ketubah, she's not going to get a second ketubah unless she really actually has in hand two separate ketubot. Right. So, uh, you know, I, again, I think these are really interesting cases because in my mind, in a way, like Chazal required the ketubah, right? It's like a required payment, right? It's a required transference of money. So then they have to like backtrack, like how do you make sure it gets enforced? Right. And and at the end of the day, these are the unusual circumstances. So I don't know, maybe it was easy to enforce it because it was so, so unusual. Right. Maybe it's more common than I that I'm giving it credit to be. But I feel like the person who's marrying the person that they've separated from, that they've been divorced from that already. I know it happens, but it's not the most common. No, probably not the most common. I mean, the Gemara will talk about this a little bit more, but yes, I would agree with you. It's it's, it's definitely like once people go through the acrimony of divorce, it takes a lot to come back around. Keeping in mind that the especially the Torah doesn't let people remarry who have been married if the woman has been married to somebody else in the interim. So, the time frame here is also interesting. It doesn't spell that out. Right. No, I I agree with you. And and look at the. We'll probably not talk about this Mishnah again tomorrow. You know, the Gemara discussion uh, is is interesting about this. Um, and it also gets into a thing. It brings a brisa, you know, again, of this idea of she has a get and a kasuba and, and witnesses of death. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting scenario. I would agree with you. I think it happened. The halakha has to account for it, but probably not a super common one. That's our discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk with Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 